Welcome to The Common Rounds. Medical education for medical students by medical students. So today we're going to be talking about a little bit of the anatomy of the heart or the basic anatomy of the heart with a little bit of a focus on probably what's going to be more clinically relevant. So what I think is most important about the anatomy um, is the surface anatomy of the heart. And it's something that's usually glanced over um, and a lot of students struggle with figuring out what they're listening to um, with their stethoscopes over the heart because they don't actually know where structures of the heart lie. So what I want you to do is make a fist with your right hand and imagine that your little finger knuckle or the fifth metacarpophalangeal joint is the apex of your heart and the thumb that forms a line at the top of your heart um, is the base of the heart. And that's essentially what your heart looks like, guys. It's just an oversized triangle um, that fits four chambers into it that, hold, that holds blood. So I want you to place your hand on your chest, maybe a centimeter um, to the left of your sternum, um, and just so that the back of your hand is facing away from you. Now anchor your thumb and your index finger to your chest and start lifting the bottom or your bottom finger or your little finger away from the chest so that it's hovering two or three centimeters off the chest wall. Now what I want you to do is rotate your, your fist about 30 degrees to the left. And that's essentially how your heart sits in the mediastinum um, or the cavity between the lungs for the heart and some other important structures to sit. Now coming off the first metacarpophalangeal joint um, is where the aorta would be and that arches superiorly and off to the right a little bit before making a big curve and then diving down behind the heart through the thoracic cavity and down into the abdomen. Coming off the interphalangeal joint of the thumb um, is where the pulmonary trunk would be and that angles left posterolaterally and then branches off into two vessels to supply the left and right lungs. That's how the heart sits in the thoracic cavity. And now what I want you to do is feel for your sternal angle of Louis. Now what is the sternal angle of Louis? Um, it's the bump that you feel just below the, the jugular notch um, or the gap between your two clavicles. You'll find it about two finger breadths um, inferior to that jugular notch and it is just that little lump that sticks out in your chest. So. Right next to that is the second intercostal space. So intercostal space just refers to the space in between the ribs. What lies at the sternal angle of Louis? It's quite an important anatomical structure because it lies at the level of the base of the heart, the carina cartilage, and the T4, T5 intervertebral discs. So what I want you to do is from that sternal angle of Louis, feel the left parasternal edge and you'll feel the second intercostal space. So this is where we feel or listen for the pulmonary semilunar valve and any murmurs that might be occurring there. If you feel the same position but on the right parasternal edge, or what we're feeling or listening for here is the aortic semilunar valve. If we jump back to the left parasternal edge, that's where we feel for tricuspid murmurs. And then if you go down to the fifth intercostal space on the left-hand side, and then move your hand in that intercostal space across to the midclavicular line, that's where we feel for the apex of the heart, and it's also where we listen for mitral valve murmurs. So. If you look at the basic shape that you've just made on your chest by listening for each of those valves, we've formed an X, and that is the basic structure for the heart that helps to separate each of the atria from each of the ventricles. Each of the valves we did just fill um, form a junction between each of, the, each of the four chambers of the heart, which are the right and left atria and the right and left ventricle. So what I want to do first is run through the order of blood flow through the heart. So as you guys might be aware, the basic structure of the heart looks something like this. So what we have on top of the heart are the atria and what we have on the bottom of the heart are the ventricles. So the basic order of blood flow, you've got a couple of vessels draining into the right atria. So those are the IVC or the inferior vena cava, 
the coronary sinus, and the SVC, or the superior vena cava. So the superior vena cava drains blood from the upper limbs in the head and neck. Um, the coronary sinus drains blood from the heart itself and the inferior vena cava from the bottom half of the body. All of that blood flows into the right atria, goes into the right ventricle. Once it's in the right ventricle, it then gets pumped to the lungs through these vessels called the pulmonary arteries. In the lungs, carbon dioxide and oxygen are exchanged, um, so blood comes back a lot more oxygenated. From the lungs, it flows into the left atria via the pulmonary veins, into the left ventricle, and then from the left ventricle, it goes out to the rest of the body through the aorta. So that's the basic order of blood flow. What I want to talk about before we delve into some of the specific structures of the heart are just where atria and where ventricles sit in relation to each other. Okay, so if we look at this picture of the heart, I'm just going to point out a few different structures for you. So up here on the top, um, on top of the heart are a right atria. On this side, we've got a left atria. Down here, we've got the right ventricle, and over here, we've got the left ventricle. All of the, the, sorry, the atria are always on top of the ventricles, and in between the atria and the ventricles of each side of the heart, there appears to be this line just here, and that's called the interventricular sulcus, and that's, that's quite important, and it'll come up a little bit later on. One of the other things that you'll notice um, is that there's also another sulcus between the right atria and the right ventricle, and another one between the left atria and the left ventricle. So again, these are quite important structures, um, and they'll come up a little bit later on. So talking a little bit more specifically, this interventricular sulcus that we spoke about is the anterior one. And then if we turned around and had a look at the back of the heart, you can also see there's another interventricular sulcus just back here, um, and that's called the posterior interventricular sulcus. How do you know you're looking at the front of the heart? as opposed to the back of the heart. What you'll notice um, is that the pulmonary trunk is actually more anterior on the heart and the aorta goes behind it, disappears behind it just down at that junction. So if you're looking at the anterior surface of the heart, the pulmonary trunk should always be the very first vessel. If we contrast that to the back, you can actually see a whole lot of vessels over here and it looks a lot messier. So if you can see a lot of vessels, you should know that you're looking at the back of the heart. That's how I do it anyway, and it's worked out pretty well so far. So let's talk a little bit about the specifics of the heart. So we'll start off with the right atrium. There's one really important structure that I want to point out, um, and it's actually not labeled on this diagram, and it won't be labeled in a lot of diagrams that you, that you look at. So it's called Crista Terminalis, and it's, in Latin it translates to the terminal crest. Um, why is it called the terminal crest? It lies at about this region here, and it literally is a crest of tissue at the terminus of the rough pectinate muscle and the smooth atria. Why is it important? It contains the sinoatrial node, or the node that, that is essentially the pacemaker of the heart and starts the electrical conduction that will lead to the ventricles contracting um, and propelling blood out of the heart into the pulmonary trunk or the aorta. Um, so it's a super important structure, and I want I want I really want you to keep that one um, in the back of your mind. Something that I haven't included um, on this picture because it lies behind this pulmonary outflow tract just here is the interatrial septum. So the interatrial septum just separates both of the atria, um, and it can be quite important in embryology because it, a, a defect in it can lead to an atrial septal defect. Okay, one of the other things you'll see um, while we're talking about the interatrial septum is the interventricular septum just here. So what you'll notice about the interventricular septum are a couple of things. The bottom two-thirds of it is actually a muscular septum, whereas the superior, superior third just here is a membranous section. So the muscular section almost always develops, and that's involved in contraction of the heart, 
whereas the membranous septum helps to form a structure called the fibrous cardiac skeleton that actually separates the heart into the four chambers that you can see just there. The membranous section of the interventricular septum is also one of the places you're most likely to find a ventricular septal defect. So what I want to talk about before moving on to structures of the ventricles are the valves of the heart. So the valves of the heart are really important structures because they allow unidirectional blood flow. So if you recall before, we spoke about the flow of blood from the right atria or from the body um, via the SVC, IVC, and coronary sinus into the right atria, into the right ventricles, and then into the pulmonary trunk. That only works because we have unidirectional flow of blood. Why is that important? Well, if we didn't have unidirectional flow of blood, we'd, we'd have a very ineffective uh, heart and a very ineffective pump because blood would always be going back into the right atria or back into the right ventricle, um, which would be very bad. How has the body evolved to allow for unidirectional flow? Well, it's, it's um, evolved to produce valves. So valves are present on both the right side of the heart and the left side of the heart. On the right side of the heart, between the right atria and the right ventricle, we have a valve called the tricuspid valve. So why is it called the tricuspid valve? Well, it contains three cusps, and each of those cusps is anchored to the wall of the ventricle by these structures called chordae tendineae. Chordae tendineae are these white structures that you can see just here. That It stands for cord-like tendons. Um, so they are little tendons, they're the heart tendons, that connect the valve, or the tricuspid valve, down to these little elevations that you can see here called the papillary muscles. So papillary muscles are the contractile part. Tendons are the part um, that connect the papillary muscles, or sorry, the chordae tendineae, are the tendons that connect the papillary muscles up to the valves. How does this valve system work? As you get that little electrical impulse from the SA node up in termina, uh, Crista terminalis, as that flows down the middle of the heart and comes up to the ventricles, it causes these papillary muscles to contract. When that happens, the, val the tricuspid valve ends up closing and it stops blood from flowing back into the right atria. So if you imagine it's a windy day, you've got, you're holding an umbrella horizontally, probably isn't a smart idea, you're holding that umbrella horizontally and it's half open. If you imagine a huge gust of wind comes along and blows that umbrella open, it stops any of the wind um, on that side of the umbrella from reaching the other side of the umbrella. And that's essentially how the valve works. Between the right ventricle and the pulmonary trunk, you have this valve here, and that's called the pulmonary semilunar valve. Why is it called a semilunar valve? Um, because the valve looks like half moons. Um, and that just stops any, any blood from the pulmonary trunk from flowing back into the, the right ventricle. On the left side of the heart, between the left atrium and the right ventricle, and the left ventricle, we have another atrioventricular valve. This time it's called the mitral or the bicuspid valve. Clinically, it's known as the mitral valve, um, but you will see it referred to as bicuspid valve in a lot of texts. Why is it called bicuspid? It's got two cusps and it works exact, by exactly the same mechanism as the tricuspid valve on the right side of the heart. How do you remember which is the right side, which is the left side? Well, blood always flows into the right side of the heart first and the left side of the heart second. And you always want to try things before you buy things. Um, so tricuspid comes first, right side of the heart. Bicuspid, left side of the heart. Another little trick that people use is just remember that tricuspid has an R in it, and that seems to help them. One of the other vessels is, is the aorta, and the aorta, um, you can almost see it, just flows up, in, blood flows up from the left ventricle in that direction, um, and that's called the aortic semilunar valve. Again, the valves look like half moons, and that just prevents any blood from the aorta flowing back down into the ventricle, um, just like that. And those are the main clinically relevant structures of the heart. 
Um, they're all really important things to remember. So what I want to point out about the mitral and tricuspid valves is that the tricuspid valve has three cusps. It's got three groups of chordae tendineae, and it's also got three papillary muscles. The mitral valve, or the bicuspid valve, has two cusps. It's got two groups of chordae tendineae, just here, and it's got two papillary muscles. So that's just something to keep in mind with the naming of it. Um, and also if you're looking at the structure in an anatomy lab and you're struggling to, to figure out which side is the left and which is the right, the right side will have three papillary muscles, the left side should only ever have two papillary muscles. Alright, so this is a different view of the valves. Um, so what we're looking at are this valve right up the front is the pulmonary semilunar valve. So you can sort of see that that looks a bit like a half moon, that looks a bit like a half moon, and again, that looks a bit like a half moon. Um, so that's where the, the semilunar comes from. So right at the front of the heart, you've got the pulmonary. Right in the middle of the heart, you've got the aortic. And then to the left and right posterior aspects of that aortic valve, you've got the mitral valve on the left-hand side and the tricuspid valve on the right-hand side. So in the aortic valve, we've got a left aortic valve, uh, aortic valve cusp, a right aortic valve cusp, and we've also got a posterior cusp just here. Why am I telling you this? Well, as you can see in um, the left and right aortic, uh, aortic valve cusps, there are these little openings called the, the openings for the coronary vessels. So this one labeled C um, contains the left coronary opening and D contains the right coronary opening. So if you imagine that when, the, the when, when, is, when blood is coming up through these valves, it pushes these valve cusps right up against the wall and it actually blocks off the openings for these coronary vessels just here. Um, which is a really important concept. Why does it do that? Well, if you imagine you've got all of the blood from the left ventricle being pumped up through the, through the aorta um, and trying to enter one of these really small coronary vessels just here, that's going to be very bad, um, and it could cause a lot of damage to, to each of those vessels. So how is the body adapted to this? Well, it's developed these little cusps that help to primarily um, help to stop blood flowing back into the left ventricle. But secondarily, they also help to stop um, that high-pressure blood flowing into these very small arteries and damaging them. So when do the coronary vessels actually fill? Well, unlike most um, of the vessels in the body, they don't actually fill during systole, they fill during diastole. So that means when the heart relaxes, a bit of blood falls back down in the aorta and it causes the opening, uh, sorry, the closing of this valve just here. And that stops blood to flow back into the left ventricle, but it also allows that blood to flow from each of these sinuses into each of the coronary arteries. And that's a really important part um, of the coronary anatomy and something that could pop up on one of your exams. So that's a nice segue to start talking about the blood vessels now. So what, what we'll talk about um, first is the arterial supply of the heart. So as we spoke about back on this picture, there's a left coronary artery um, coming from the left coronary opening and a right coronary artery coming from a right coronary opening. If we have a look at this picture just here, this is, this is showing us the left and right sides of the heart. So let's talk about the right coronary artery first. So the right coronary artery branches from the right side of the aorta and it supplies the right side and the posterior surface of the heart. And we can see that by following it around. So we've got the right coronary artery coming around and going towards the back of the heart. Right before it turns around and gets to the back of the heart, it sends off this branch just here, and that's called the right marginal artery. Coming from the right side of the aorta, we've got the right coronary artery, and as you can see, that branches down the, side, the right side of the heart and goes towards the back of the heart. 
Right before it branches towards the back of the heart, it sends off this right marginal branch, which supplies the right margin of the right ventricle. There are also a couple of atrial branches that, that come off the right coronary arteries to supply the right atrium. Um, and if we keep following this around to the back of the heart and come over to this image over here, we can see that the right coronary artery continues and it ends up turning into the right posterior descending artery. Now the right posterior descending artery runs in that posterior interventricular septum that we spoke about right at the start of the presentation. That's the right, the circulation for the right coronary artery, and I am only pointing out the clinically relevant arteries. There are a lot of other arteries that you can go into in a lot more detail. If we look at the left circulation, or the left coronary artery, so this is the left coronary artery just here. It branches from the left side of the aorta, and as you can see, the first branch of it is this one running right down the left, uh, sorry, the anterior interventricular septum, and that's called the left anterior descending artery. Why is it called the left anterior descending artery? It's from the left coronary artery, it's on the anterior surface, and it descends down the heart. So as you can see, the left coronary artery also continues around, and it turns into the left circumflex artery. Now the left circumflex artery um, supplies the left margin of the left ventricle, and it also goes around towards the back of the heart to supply a little bit of the posterior surface of the left ventricle. And that's essentially the arterial supply of the heart, um, or the basics of the arterial supply of the heart. If we then have a look at the uh, venous drainage of the heart. There's four vessels that you need to know. There are the great, middle, and small cardiac veins, and the coronary sinus. As you can see on this, the great cardiac vein, which is this one here, drains the front of the heart um, in the anterior interventricular septum. It then makes a makes a left hand uh, sorry a right hand turn as we're looking at it, and starts to go back towards the back of the heart. So it comes around um, this margin just here and picks up the middle cardiac vein and turns into the coronary sinus. So the coronary sinus is just a collection of a lot of veins of the heart into a common vessel before it can empty into the right atrium. So as you can see, um, this middle cardiac vein um, actually starts on the front of the heart and anastomoses with the great cardiac vein, goes down and around the apex of the heart and swings up towards the back of the heart into the coronary sinus. Now the small cardiac vein, um, looking at the front of the heart again, and that actually drains the margin of the right side of the heart, swings around to the back, and joins up with that coronary sinus that we can see in here before emptying into the um, right atrium. There are also a couple of other veins um, that, that drain into the right atrium. So if you recall at the start, we spoke about the SVC, the IVC, um, and the coronary sinus. Those are the three main ones that people will talk about. There are also a couple of other vessels that drain into there, um, like the anterior cardiac vein and the Thebesian vessels, or the smallest cardiac veins. But those aren't too clinically relevant, and I wouldn't really worry about them right now. So that concludes the anatomy of the heart. Stay tuned for the next, se next section um, on some physiology of the heart. So today was put together by our executive producer Gautam and our co-editor Cindy. For notes, elective experiences, and much more study resources, visit our website on thecommonrounds.wordpress.com or visit us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter. If you like our episodes, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. It means a lot to us. You've been listening to The Common Rounds. I'm Hamid. And I'm Andy. And we'll see you next time. See you next time.